0: Welcome to episode 183 of Control the Controllables and it's that time of year when we get up in the middle of the night to watch our favourite tennis players, we pretend that we're working from home and we find any possible way that we can to be watching the Australian Open. Last year's Australian Open brought us so much drama and that was before a tennis ball was even hit. Now, this year has been a little bit quieter, but you can guarantee there's going to be some amazing stories. There's going to be some new stars born. And I'm sure maybe some of those old dogs, whether it's Nadal or Djokovic, they might have a thing or two to say about it as well. Now, I am delighted to be joined by Freddie Nielsen, who is always on our previews and reviews. Freddie 2012 Wimbledon winner with British tennis player Johnny Murray Had a fantastic playing career and is now the Davis Cup captain and head of men's tennis in Denmark. And then we've got Emily Weberly smith who has been on the podcast before. She's currently top 200 in the world in doubles. She's an inspiration. She's 37 years old. She's been on the tour for many years and is still going strong, has played... At Grand Slam level, has many more Grand Slams to play. And for her to bring her insight and inside knowledge of the game is fantastic. And then lastly, the Piers Morgan of the tennis world, Kieran Vorster. Kieran from South Africa has worked with many players at the top level, from Tim Henman to Wayne Ferreira, and is now Liam Brody's fitness coach. And again, a brilliant insight for us to have. As always, I love these chats. I really hope that you guys do too. And then we want to hear from you. Who's your picks? Share it on social media and let us know. If you get it right and you tag us in on social media, we will read your name out in lights in our review show in a couple of weeks' time. Now, enjoy the Australian Open, but first, enjoy our first preview of a Grand Slam this year, our Australian Open 2023 panellists. A big welcome to my Australian Open 2023 panel. How are you all doing? Good, thank you, Dan.
1: Very, very good, thanks.
0: It's great to have you on, guys. And as a starting point, as as we sit here the day before the Australian Open starts and, and the day after the Netflix show Breakpoint came out, will will it transform tennis you know what what is the netflix show going to do to our industry is it going to open the doors is it going to open the sport to many that currently don't know about it or are inspired by it and emily to bring you in here first and i'm i'm sure that you've seen some of the footage i'm sure you've seen the trailers that are out there and what what are your early thoughts on on the show
2: I have seen some of the previews and uh, the characters that they're, they're kind of playing up to be in it. Um, and I do think it's
0: long overdue
2: um, in terms of trying to make tennis a little cooler to the open open world who maybe wouldn't normally watch tennis or, or know about the stories behind the players. Um, and I do think there's some amazing stories and, and characters in it, but I think so often in interviews, doesn't show that the life behind and the, the the bits that people actually want to know. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um I just hope that I hope it I hope it's it's based on a, li- a little bit of reality as well yeah. as um as that. Um but yeah, it would be um it would definitely be one to watch for for this year.
0: Yeah, I've managed to watch the the first couple of episodes and in episode 2 actually it was it was quite nice to see the reality of a, of a relationship you know it was Berattini i think he'd actually just made the semi-finals and it it showed him walking into an extremely dirty room that wasn't very well looked after uh, close everywhere with his girlfriend Tom Lanovich, and just kind of getting that transaction between their, their relationship and and seeing that Yes, you're a semi finalist, but now you're going to have to have have a conversation with your other half, and she was trying to kick him out of bed early in the morning so she could do an interview with the tennis channel, and and it is th- it's nice to see that you know that's how we start to connect with people, so I've really enjoyed it, and but it, it has been interesting, it, definitely they're setting the scene. They're setting the scene that it's aimed at people that aren't in the world of tennis. You know, the first episode's really talking about how you score, the scoring system at Grand Slams. Um, and I'm sure as it goes and these these type of shows, they'll get under the bonnet of the sport a little bit more. And and I know us in the tennis world, that's what we want to see a little bit. But first and foremost, let's see if it opens up a new audience and certainly, Nick Kyrgios, who is very heavily featured in episode one, seems to be the man that they're using to to, to try and open up that new audience. And I don't think any of us can argue with that. But uh, what are your early thoughts? And what are you what are you thinking about it, Freddie?
1: I think it's a good initiative. I think um, obviously, since it's as I can understand, it's the creators of the Formula One one. Um, I know for myself, I'm not a Formula One fan, but I really enjoyed the the Netflix documentary there and it got me a little more interested in it. Yeah. I don't think you're gonna lose any of the current tennis fans by doing it. So I don't, I really think you have nothing to lose and a lot to win by doing it. Um, it is an entertainment business. People these days, they wanna see what goes on behind the scenes. Um, yeah. So it, I'm, I'm generally uh, positive uh, towards it, like Emily said, I'm also a little bit suspicious whether it's going to be a little uh, artificially created, some of the drama, but if, if, if that's the case, then so be it, um, before, without knowing anything about the quality of it, I'm I'm pretty positive. I mean, what what's the worst that can happen? You get some new fans and people are going to see a little bit of what's going on, so And they picked some good guys. Nick Kier is, uh, for, for better or for worse, one of the most interesting players we have in tennis at the moment.
0: And there's a real opportunity for some of the players, the current players as well, to emerge as superstars within the game. You know, it's not just the results on the court, it's also the entertainment off the court. And certainly the lead runner from the first couple of episodes as Francis TFO. I think it's gonna put him in a good light. You know, he seems like a very funny, fun guy, who I think a lot of people will love. And then Bedotha and, and Jabert on the women's side, I think are gonna come and, and out really strong in this, you know, showing showing off their personalities. But maybe it's the, the beard of Liam Brody that really stole the show in the first episode. But he must have known that those cameras were following him. You know, he had, the, he had the beard oil on, he had it perfectly trimmed. He got a lot of camera time there. And I know probably not what he wants when he's on the end of a bit of a beating from Nick Kyrgios. But he certainly came across well. So how, how's the reaction been to that, Vozzi
3: yeah, I mean, he he was told by Nick when they're in Canberra that he was he was going to be be on the first episode. Um, yeah, but I mean, obviously, I think Liam Liam loved the fact that that he's got some screen time, and I know he put a tweet out this morning. He was like, um, "He would love 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 them to put a GoPro on uh, one or a few of the players <laughs> in the futures event."
0: Maybe that's what it opens up, Emily. Though you know, we start with the stars and then maybe we get control the controllables productions in a couple of years' time, you know, because it's fascinating, that, that, that side of the game. You know, this is where the professionals come from. You know, they all pretty much start at the futures and go through the challenges, you know, and to be able to see that journey and that reality of that journey, I think it would be an amazing watch. But Emily, if I said you're a producer of a Netflix show of the Futures and Challenger Tour, what would the narratives be? What would the main storylines be that you would look to bring alive?
2: I actually I actually replied to Liam's tweet and I said, pay me and I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I, I do think there's, um, there's just so many things that people just don't realize that go on. Um, and obviously there's the nitty gritty reality. Um, which is also tough and and sad um, and difficult and ugly, um, but there is also so many underlying stories between um, the fun stuff, but also and the drama um, and the chaos that that goes on at Challenger and future level. But also within that, I think there is some there is some pretty cool stories of people coming back from from injuries, like for instance this week in Thailand with Lloyd Harris um coming back and actually from six months out with his wrist, um, actually doing pretty well in his first first couple back. Um and then the younger players coming through who who once or twice you'll see somebody like a Noskova um or somebody like that who this time last year was you know playing 25Ks and is now 70 in the world and she's 17. Um and I think those those kind of things for the real tennis fan would be really interesting, but I think equally the behind-the-scenes um nitty-gritty of the Challenger Tour is um something that, unless you've lived it, can't really be described. <laughs>
0: would, we, would we get a behind-the-scenes video of the hotel piano playing behind you? <laughs> right, this hotel can't be that bad. You know what I mean? Piano bars, working Wi-Fi.
2: 40 euros is a... Is a <laughs> Is a pretty it's a pretty good level in Estonia so um, yeah I think uh, the variation that you would get between futures in in China or India or, or somewhere like that um, comparison to to Europe and France and those those tough tallies um, in the states I think uh, I think people would be drawn in by it I think they'd also be shocked um, by some of the conditions but I think uh, and the prize money but um, <laughs> yeah I definitely think it would be interesting.
0: A couple of messages I picked up from from the show is I'm, I'm a big believer in normalizing, you know, and I think sometimes when we look at the top end of the game, we, we think that these players are, are robots, you know, we think that they've got so much money, they can just compete with absolute freedom. But for us to see that they have the same fears, the same fears of failure, you know, whether that's for various different reasons but whether it's Jabur who is playing with a whole continent behind her and feeling as if she's she's got the whole weight of africa on her shoulders whether it's parents agents you know the higher level they get the more money's involved the more people that it's harder to trust it's it's not so easy to have these teams around you and freddie i was i was thinking of you when i was watching it because and if I share a little story from, from me when I was younger, and, and my, it certainly wasn't a grand slam, but what I'm going to ask you about is Wimbledon, but it was the under-14 nationals and... I'd I'd made it through to the final and it was it was a big deal to make it through to the final and you spend all the week there in in Nottingham in the UK you are with your mates you're hanging out you're watching matches you're playing matches it was back in the days before mobile phones so you're chatting away you're playing cards having a bit of banter maybe it's the first time you're at the age where you're starting to talk to the girls and who fancies who and you know it's a, there's a real buzz around it and I remember walking in on finals day and it was dead. <laughs> it was absolutely dead. There was there was nobody around, and it was a, almost a bit of an empty feeling, and a little bit of a strange feeling. Now, granted. If you're playing at a Grand Slam, of course, on the court itself, it's packed and there's a real buzz. And also the media intensifies as it goes. Uh, But that that didn't happen at the under-14 Nationals, believe it or not. So, Freddie, if I take you to 2012, where you've made it through to a Wimbledon final, is that something that you experienced? Oh, clearly.
1: It was very clear. And... uh... It it wasn't necessarily a bad thing because you have a little more space physically everywhere you go because the start of the the slam is, as you all know, it's pretty intense. There's a lot of people everywhere and it's a little easier to just go around and do your business. I didn't find it the same way as you did. I, I took it more as a experience because I was... Pretty convinced that I was never gonna be going this far in a slam again. So uh, for me, it was just part of the experience of okay, this is just another thing. You know, you're on the you're in the players area and there's absolutely nobody around, and uh, you 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 also this this whole feeling of I don't know five hundred players or whatever it is trying to 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 make it their tournament, and all of a sudden there's not that many left, and and it feels nice to be one of the ones that are left when everybody else. Are gone and are trying to prepare for other tournaments. So I didn't have the same feeling as you did in Wimbledon. I've had it in other tournaments. I know exactly what you mean. That that it's it's a little bit. All right, what's what's going on here? But uh, but in a slam, I didn't feel it that way. I felt it yeah. on the opposite. I liked that. I liked it as a part as a contrast to the beginning. And it's also it was special. So so for me, it it was definitely very very clear and obvious that 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 it was different. But I, I quite enjoyed it.
0: And to to move us on now to the Australian Open, which is what we're here to talk about, this is, I believe, episode 183 of Control the Controllables. And most of the tennis players that, that come on they always pick the Australian Open as as their favourite. You know that seems to be the the players' choice. It's it's a it's an incredible event. They look after the players so well. It's very fan friendly. And if we go back one year, looking some of the stories that we had last year on this show last year, we didn't pick Nadal. We didn't talk about Nadal. Nah, he's been injured for six months, and he went on and he won the final from two sets to love down. Against Daniel Medvedev, and became the 21-time Grand Slam winner. Uh, we we picked Barty to win. I'm not sure any of us picked her to win with not out dropping a set, and certainly we didn't see it coming that she was going to walk away from the sport and retire and moving to writing children's books. Uh, you know, and so so times can change. You know, lots lots changes in a year. We think about what was going on with Novak Djokovic last year, you know, and I'm going to bring you in at this point, Vozzy, because you were certainly very vocal upon this and, you know, it showed that on the Netflix documentary as well. And it was like no way that that happened. It was it was crazy. You know, Novak Djokovic in the detention center everyone going mad people jumping on the police cars you know it was just hard to believe that it was really happening but it was it was such a massive story he was he was banned from australia for 3 years and here we are 1 year later i'm sure we're all going to be picking him to be winning the event apart from maybe vozzy who likes to go against the grain uh but yeah what what are your thoughts a year on vozzy well
3: i mean if the if the australian government um, obviously, made the decision to lift it, which is which is obviously great, great for for tennis and great for Novak. So um, uh, you probably think a year on that, having done a little bit of traveling, you'd never have thought COVID had existed. You know, like like you know, just even going on like America, they're, they're saying that you you won't be allowed into the states. You know, probably till the end of March if you're having a COVID vaccination. But when you go in there, they don't even ask you. So. You know, I think I think on 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 that basis, I think it's going to be unlucky for Novak. But you know, he respects rules. Rules are rules. Now, you know, you're on. But you know, I think he could have handled twelve months ago, even if he reflected on himself um, that whole situation a lot
0: better. And in terms of what we what we saw and spoke about a couple of years ago on this show, and I certainly don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Although maybe it was Xavier Melis, maybe we throw Xavier under the bus. But I think he was talking about how Asaka, she was the big favourite for the Aussie Open back in 2021. And he was saying he just can't see anybody in the women's game catching her. You know, she's going to go on and she's going to get close to Serena's record. And then only a year ago, we were all saying the same about Ash Barty. You know, she was head and shoulders above the rest of the field. You know, she was about to win a third. She was going to go on a rampage. And before you knew it, we'd already started dressing her up as the next Serena Williams. And here we are a year on. They're both pregnant, which is amazing news. A big congratulations to to both of them. Ash Barty's no longer playing the sport Naomi Osaka, we hope, will, but she certainly had a lot of troubles since then. So we don't know to what level she's going to come back. And it just shows how hard it is to maintain that level and, and how things can change so quickly.
2: Yeah, I think the dominance that Serena, that Serena had, I think, and that she achieved, I think it's very easy to say, oh, this person will be, could be the next the next arena and then you actually look at the stats and you look at how how much Serena won and how dominant she was and I'm not sure that that can be repeated um somebody like Osaka I think did struggle mentally um a lot in that year that followed um but even since then it's been very very up and down for her and when she disappears for a couple of months on tour people are now no longer no longer shocked. Okay, this time it's because she's pregnant. Yeah. Um, but I think that may be for her the way that she'll be able to maintain a longer career is by her taking some time out from that from that spotlight. Having said that, I do think she welcomes the spotlight in other ways. So I don't think you can always choose to have it choose to have it both ways. Um, but somebody like Ega who who went on that streak last year. I think is is very much still somehow under the radar. Yet, yet she w- she was on an unbelievable winning streak um, in the middle the middle part of of last year the, and the through the clay and, and everything. Um, so I, I think it I think it's good because it shows the strength and depth um, in women's tennis and that it's changing so much. But I do hope that there's someone that captures the Attention of the world um, a little a little more in terms of um, I don't think if you were walking down the street in the states and you said to them who's eager See tech, I I don't think the average person it somewhere like that would know um, and that's a shame because she's at the top of our sport
0: yeah but I, I think that's a a choice that eager makes a little bit. You know, I remember when when she was at the academy a, a couple of years ago, and and I went down. I think it was a Saturday afternoon, and I was playing the role of the estate agent and met them to give them the keys. And and I have to admit, I didn't recognise Eager. I just you know she was just she was so normal, and and she actually spoke quite candidly throughout that week, how how she tries to avoid the limelight. Now now granted that was back in 2020, maybe twenty-one. But it was it was back after she'd won the French Open. You know, she's obviously a much bigger star now. You know, she's much more recognizable now. But she's she certainly made that decision to stay out of the limelight as much as she can. And I, I don't see as an example, I don't see her showcase too much on the netflix show you know i would imagine that will be something that she will avoid you know. yeah so. and
2: it's about the tennis you know it's and yeah. that's that's great for her because i think it allows her to be able to exist at that age with a very balanced mind in the same way that ash really did um it, it, you yeah. know she was always it was always about the tennis or the cricket when she stopped playing um but i think Although I understand at their age and, and with what they're trying to achieve in the sport, how important that is, perhaps for mental mental sanity as well, um, I still think that we need something um, where the women's game is is advertised and marketed um, a little better because there are some great stories and some great personalities in there, and we need that going forwards in the next you know in in the next era this era and the next yeah. era.
0: And I saw this morning, I, I always like to scroll through Twitter the the morning or, or the hour before I I do one of these podcasts just to pick up the latest news. And uh, unfortunately, and I, I don't know the impact of this yet, but, but Dotha and Tomlanovic have, have both pulled out of the main draw of the Australian Open, and, and they were both the big stars of the first couple of episodes of the Netflix show, you know, and, and that's, that's going to be such a shame, actually, that, you know, here we are, the, uh, the two, the two almost stars that people would go, I want to, I want to watch those. I want to, let's turn them on. They're they're not actually playing in the event. So that's going to be the shame, but Freddie, what, what are we looking at in terms of storylines? You know, give us, Give us some storylines that maybe people aren't aren't looking for. What what do you what do you see that's gonna happen this year at the at the Aussie Open? <sighs>
1: what are the ones the people aren't looking for? Well, you can go through the ones that people are looking for. The the comeback of Novak after the saga next year. The 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 Nick Carrier story of being maybe more expected to go go deep and can't really hide behind being the underdog anymore, but having had a really good year. Uh, but apart from that, for me, the biggest one is, uh, is the emergence of some of the, the young, youngsters. I mean, it's very difficult for me to go into the Australian Open without the Danish glasses on and see how, uh, how Holger is going to do. And so, so from my point of view, that's going to be, uh, be, 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 be the biggest uh, thing for me to watch because there's going to be a changing of the guard soon. Novak is obviously still the favorite and he's going to be the best. I don't think Rafa is looking as strong as he has. Uh, Federer is gone and he's obviously having his issues. So I don't think Medvedev has really cemented his spot at the top the way it looked like he was going to. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities for the youngsters. So for me, I'm looking to see which one of the youngsters are going to grab the top of the game now, Uh, especially on the men's side. And, and then on the women's side, I think it's a bit bit the same with the tennis. Who's going to cement their place at the top? Because uh, uh, Emily made the point about uh, different winners and, and, and strength and depth. You can also make the argument that that, that shows that there might be maybe not a great top uh, when, when people keep beating each other. Um, throughout the time, there's always been a few select uh, that, that have been dominating the the, the different eras a little bit more and winning more and and, and i'm not certain I don't, i'm not sure that i have the answer but not in my opinion it's not necessarily the, the case that it's because everybody is so good that we're, that everybody beats each other i think maybe it's because there's not uh, a, an outstanding group of players that are taking the top so so i feel like both the men and women are, are, are in, in that state where where you're kind of waiting to see who's going to take over obviously has a great case and she kind of keeps winning but there's room for more in the top and, and that's what I'm going to look forward to seeing if, who's, who's who wants
0: that and what about what about you Vozzy what, what are we going to see this year at the Aussie Open
3: um, yeah I think I think the ones I think the ones like uh, I think Tegmanovic I saw practice in Dubai was, was looking really good um, yeah so I think some of the emergence of those of those of those younger ones who have had a breakthrough year Um I think Jack Draper is another outsider. Um, I mean, obviously, we can't go too hyped up on him because it's going to be his actually this is going to be his first full year on the, on the main tour. So, you know, I think I think it'll be a lot of learning learning to do. How well he'll do against Nadal, I don't know. Um, I think you know is he up to the physical challenge of that? Again, you know, I think maybe you know he's obviously improving all the time, but I think he may be. You know, six six to eight months short on that side, especially at at, at Grand Slam level. But
0: it's just, a shocking draw. For, it's a shocking draw for Nadal. Yes. Nadal Nadal doesn't want Jack Draper first round at Australian Open. And the, I, I Draper's the one floater for me. I think his level's currently top twenty in the world. So it's going to be interesting because Nadal has lost matches going into this Aussie Open. You know, he's it's not go. that okay. he's. It's not that he's coming in without many matches, he's actually lost he's lost matches coming in. So uh, can can Draper take him out Vozzi. Yeah
3: he has he has yeah he has the ability to um whether 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 he, whether he will or, or not on the day I think it'll come down to the you know the occasion so to speak. You know is is he gonna be overwhelmed by the occasion or um will he be able will he be able to to show the composure that he's shown, obviously in in previous matches and come through it.
0: And and at at this point, I think we, as we've jumped into the men's event, that the story in Australia, yes, is Novak Djokovic, but it's also the bromance that they're talking about. Now the the Djokovic-Kyrgios bromance, obviously Kyrgios is a superstar already. He's probably the most talked about tennis player in the world. Um, and uh, my first question, and I want to ask you this, Freddie, and then I want to come to you, Emily, is what did you think of that? It was the end of the first time they'd done such a thing, I believe, selling tickets a couple of days before the event. Tickets sold out on Rod Laver, I believe, in fifty-eight minutes. To to get you, I mean, granted, it was five. Or 10 Australian dollars for people to come in and watch a match between Djokovic and Kyrgios there was a little bit of negativity we were going to have Noah Rubin come on um, unfortunately Noah's not made it and that's a shame because he's been tweeting quite heavily about this and actually having back and forth with Nick on it what was your what was your thoughts on on that happening a couple of days ago
1: I, I was flabbergasted to see Noah being negative towards something happening in tennis <laughs> oh, well, obviously not he's very outspoken yeah. about that i couldn't see the problem with it i mean the fact that it sells out in 58 minutes shows that it's probably something that a lot of people thought was a good idea i'm always intrigued by uh when, when i go to see other sporting events uh, i try to get in uh, it before to see how people warm up and train and this kind of stuff i like that if i have the chance and 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 like we touched upon it a little bit before, that people want to see a little more what happens outside and and how they they, they conduct themselves. And it's a worth a shot. Why wouldn't you try it out? You can try it out. See, is it nice? Do people enjoy it? You can get to see the best players in the world for for less money. And 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 if it turns out it's it's not a great thing, then you say, okay, we tried it. I I really don't see what's what what's wrong about. It. In fact, I think it's. Yeah, it, 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 tickets are also really expensive these days. So if you can have the chance to go yeah. and see the best player in the world for for less money, and and a lot of the times you can see them practice at the events, of course, but a lot of the times they're just hitting balls up and down, which is nice, yeah. but it's not that that uh, spectacular. I'm all for it. I think mm-hmm. you've got nothing to lose, yeah. and it's a good idea open up and show... Also, I think there's a little bit, which is why this Netflix thing is good that you you open up the doors and show more of the sport and you need it right now because for many years, the sport's been carried by very personality heavy people that are slowly starting to retire and remove the sport and people need new faces and new things
3: to be intrigued by. So I'm very positive. I'd like to add on that, though, Dan. I think I think uh, what the sport really needs, and I hope Netflix brings this, which Drive to Survive did, you know, by bringing in the American audience, is that the average the average age viewing age of of, of people watching tennis is like sixty one years old. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And 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 the tennis channel um, uh, in the last quarter of last year, the average age was fifty five. And and I hope I hope that this the this breakpoint like brings a younger audience having watched it. To um, gravitate towards watching our sport um, and getting, you know, getting get getting the, view, the viewership age a little lower, um, and actually making the sport a little bit more cool, um, yep. that people people come out and watch. Um, and I think th- th- there's a lot of things that the the, um, the TV channels need to do um, to 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 also help with that audience, and and, and Breakpoint may be the start of that. Yes, and sir. I would prefer to see a lot of these initiatives before we change the rules of the game. For example, yeah.
1: So I, I would I would want to see the the game explore all sorts of avenues in this area, because I believe a lot of it is is, is creating hype about people that they want to say. I I don't believe that that that, that changing rules is going to make a big difference. Yet that's a lot of the talk of the town is what are we going to do to. To, to make it more TV friendly and all this and this. And I, I personally hate the talk of, of rule change. So I would much rather see all these things before the rule changes.
0: Yeah. Well, I was saying there accessibility inspires. If you can get access, it, it does inspire. And ultimately, you know, and we had a one this week, we word got out Jude Bellingham, the England footballer, put on his social media heading to Marbella. And with a little bit of digging, people found out that Dortmund were training in Marbella. So I took my kids, and uh, a lot of my friends took their kids. And we had literally complete access to Dortmund players. It was incredible. We sat there, we watched them for an hour and a half. Um, You know, it all sorts of... My nine-year-old never watches football, says she hates football. She now thinks Jude Bellingham's her best friend. You know, and she's drawing... (laughs) And the picture, she asked him his favorite color. She's drawing a picture for him. You know, like it's completely, and he spent, Jude Bellingham spent 75 minutes, not just taking the odd photo, taking absolute taking selfies, hugs, like conversation, like the accessibility that we had to Jude Bellingham. I'm telling you now, everyone that was there that day, he is now their favorite footballer. They are now going to want to watch every time, wherever he goes, that th- those kids will want to watch Jude Bellingham play. And that is ultimately what inspires the next generation. You know, and I guess and, that... Go on, Freddie, you go.
1: And he's probably a genuinely nice guy. But at the end of the day, it's not rocket science, is it? No, like it's be, not. I mean, like like you said, he probably did it of his own genuine feeling of wanting to be a nice guy. But at the at the end of the day... It, it doesn't take that much for, for, for tennis players to be outgoing and include people in their Twitter or even even if you just if they just reply once in a while to some comment or something, people like it. It's it, it's not rocket science when it comes to this kind of stuff.
0: No. And just to shift it a little bit, but still, I guess curiosity is my thought process here, Emily. Mentality, you know, we've all been there in the sport of the, the weight of expectation. And and it's really it's really hit home to me. You know, Kyrgios has kind of played his whole career, letting everyone know he doesn't give a shit. I don't care, I don't care. Like, really underplaying his chances. I saw an interview with him the other day, and he said for the first time in his career, he feels like he's one of the favourites to win the Grand Slam. That's a massive mentality shift, massive mindset shift that, that could... Add a weight of expectation, especially in his home country. You know, talk, talking personally from your experiences, and then linking that back into Kyrios and, and tennis players. What do you What do you think about that?
2: I think it's interesting, more so because of the character that Nick is. Um, I think generally we would say, "Oh, yeah, it's tough because of the expectation and everything else." But I think having really exaggerated how under and underplayed how how he was. I think it will be, it'll be interesting to see if he actually grows into that role of being one of the stars because he kind of, although although he underplayed it with his tennis, he wanted to be, he wanted to show that he was different and wanted to stand out when he was, you know, when his ranking wasn't standing out. Um, and, and now that he is one of the favourites, I do think with someone like Kyrgios, there's also a chance that it could go in a good way, that he will actually establish himself um, at the top and, and, and feel that even with everything that goes on around his tennis and all the drama and everything else, um, that actually perhaps that is where his talent level is, is, is meant to be. Um, but... In his own country, um, I do think we've seen it through the years with with people that it's very very difficult with that expectation to come out straight first you know first slam of the year for them with the same level that that we saw from him last summer. Yeah. But um, I think I don't know. I kind of feel like Kyrios is born for it. He's kind of born to be in the spotlight. Yeah. And and perhaps that all the other things actually help him. They wouldn't for a lot of players like somebody like a Sam Stozer or somebody like that um, always performed better outside Australia than than she did in Aussie. But I think Kyrgios is a a different kettle of fish and I think he would embrace it. I actually think even the Djokovic bromance thing that they're all playing up and we don't know how, you know, how close they actually are. Um, But I think it makes Djokovic cooler and I think it makes Kyrgios more credible. Um, And I think that... that that works for both of them,
0: yeah.
2: um, in in a marketing way, but actually also in a you
0: know in an ego way, yeah. really. Um, I definitely but, softened to Djokovic.
2: Me too. I have softened to Swimbled Djokovic, them. and and Kyrios has grown on me, yeah. um, which is exactly which is exactly what what we wanted really, um, yeah. in terms of, of of the sport and how it's marketed. But as Freddie said, any access that you can get to these people when they're not. Um, in a Grand Slam final, which very few people can go and watch live, um, or when they're not in goodness knows where around the world, um, is great for tennis. And I think at the moment also we're seeing a huge change in all these other um, takeoffs from tennis, you know, like paddle and pickleball and all these other formats of the game coming through, which is great, but it's detracting from how cool tennis actually is. And if like Fozzie said, if we can bring that age down um, by um, even if it means creating expectation around Nick, if that gets another 50 kids in Australia playing tennis, then that's awesome. Um, and and that's what we want. Maybe not, maybe not quite behaving like Nick all the time, um, but at least it gives them a chance to enjoy the sport and try and pick up a racket and literally be intrigued by somebody who, when it when it comes down to it, is, is a very
0: good athlete. And all eyes will be going to potential Kyrgios Rune, a third-round match ready.
1: Definitely. I think it's... Uh, yeah, I think that's a great matchup. I think also what what, what we've seen in the past years is that Kyrios likes to play in John Kane Arena. He can't stay away from Rod Laver much longer. So I'm yeah. also intrigued to see how that's going to play in because obviously it's been an active choice of his to be in Kane. Uh, and... Uh, it's a different kind of crowd there. Especially the last few years where you don't have seated tickets. So he's been able to get that kind of positively rowdy crowd for him that he likes. And I I, I wonder how that's gonna play in. I mean, he was able to get a little bit going last year on on, on Labour against Medvedev, but his record on Labour compared to on Kane is very different. Holger has been they had an unbelievable finish to the season, and uh, everybody now is obviously understanding what a good player he is, and it's just a matter of time because he gets into the to the question about uh, winning slams, and there's genuinely thought that th- these two players might be the ones that are gonna be playing for for the title at the end. So it's a, it's an early it, it's an early blockbuster. Were they both to make third round? Obviously, we gotta give the other players they're playing some credit as well
0: absolutely and before i want us to come back and we we'll have our picks as we always do our dark horses and our winners but as we move to the to the women's side emily what's the narrative this year what's the where where are the storylines we've had certainly some nice first round matchups you got as Azaren- a rank as a against kenning you know, both coming into a bit of form as well. Obviously, previous previous champions. Everyone will be talking about Coco Goff potentially playing Emma raducanu in 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 round two. But where, where what are some of the stories for us to look out for there?
2: I think, I, yeah, I, I had a quick look yesterday, but the raducanu Corpach first round match is not going to be easy. No. And I think it. I think it's interesting that people just assume that's going to be a second round. Um, I know Corpach pretty well and she's, she's, she's a good tennis player, but obviously Emma has proved herself at slam level. Um, but with all of the coaching changes that have happened, as always, but I think even more than ever in the women's game over, over the pre, uh, pre-season time, um, we've already seen Benchich this week. I think she just won. Um, she just won Adelaide. Um, and in two and love in the final. Two and love in the final, and she's working with Emma's coach from, from last year, and then everyone's switching again. I think uh, Aussie always produces a few surprises, and I think you find out who's ready for the year and, and, and uh, who perhaps isn't, who's a little bit rusty, everything else. And there are some weird results. There's been some weird results over the last couple of tournaments as well. Um, but I, I think, and I, I mentioned her before with, with somebody like a Noskova, I don't think she's ready to win a grand slam yet, but these girls have been pushing without anyone really noticing. Yep. Um. And the Czech Czech tennis still is churning out young, good tennis players with great feet, great technique, who love the game and who will be part of the game at top twenty level probably for the next five, ten years. And there's a there's a whole group of them. It's not just her. Um. There's the sisters, the Frutuva sisters, and 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 um. Not just the Czech girls, but I think as we. Go as we start coming into Australia. I think the stories like Coco and everything are kind of already been. I think they've people realise that Coco's around. You know, they realise that Eager's around. Um, but it's a matter of who who is actually going to be able to, you know, commit and go all the way through. Somebody like a, I, I think we forget someone like Kenin, like one yeah. one Australia a few years ago, and like she's just disappeared off the face of the earth for a few, few but then she's won a few matches, you know, the last couple of weeks. So I don't know. It's wide open. Um, It really is. But I do think there's room for someone, um, someone who we're not expecting, like one of these young girls who, if you look at their win loss ratio of the last year, and you look at how many matches they've won to establish themselves in the top hundred, I could see going deep into like a quarters or a semis um, and creating a story.
0: Give us a couple of names to watch out for.
2: I think Noskova. I think she's played really, really well in the last three months. She would be somebody. Um
0: Fruvitova,
2: maybe it's a little early, but Fruvitova, I could see winning a few rounds.
0: Yeah. It's even like people like andrisku you know, who has won a slam in the last couple of years. You know, she comes in unseeded she's actually i mean it's it's unbelievable some of the matchups i mean she plays against puskova first round unbelievably difficult first round potentially plays against Iga in the third round you know there's there's all of these matchups the one i want to ask you about vozzi linked into this the united cup first time i think i think we all probably quite enjoyed it it felt it went on maybe a bit too long um felt like a little bit of formatting changes. But the likes of someone like a Pagula who who killed Sviontek in, in in that event. Are are those that have played events like that more likely to be having success at Aussie Open? Is that going to be seen as like the perfect the perfect warm up? Or is it someone that's maybe coming in that hasn't played hasn't played so many matches and is a little bit fresher physically?
3: Um, yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't think you can take, um, take anything out of those in terms of, you know, if they've won three or four matches, they're going to be the hot favourites going, going into the Australian. I think, you know, just a lot of them, a lot of those players are looking at just putting, you know, mileage on, on, uh, on their legs and you feel that they've had a few matches behind them. Um, you know, the fact that Nadal didn't have a good United Cup, I don't think that's going to have any reflection on how well he's going to play at, um, uh, at the Aussie Open. Um, and and on that basis, you know, in Djokovic, when he was going into Wimbledon, he was he was in awful form. You know, he pulled out of a couple Exo events before he just didn't feel good, and then you know he went on and won Wimbledon. So, um, I, I, I think th- I think the United Cup is it's it's great that they are. Um, it, it's a mixed event, but I still think that the the opportunities are too small so it's 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 very elitist in terms of you can only have two men two women from from a country so you it's not it's not like playing in adelaide where you, you know where you've got you know whatever it is 16 18 20 direct acceptances into the events um and you know you've got two players in there that potentially can come away with winning you know 500 points and a lot of money um so i think i think they need to look at the format um and and see if there's opportunities further down the rankings that you know players from the countries can play as well not just top two male and singles players. Fozzie can I players. can
2: I just ask you on that with you with your hmm. background as of as a physical trainer um do you think that the people who choose to play those run-up and do well in those run-up exhibition events do you think that the, guy, the people who have um, committed to a longer preseason, or perhaps needed more time to be ready physically or um, wanted to put more work in physically rather than playing, rather than pe- sort of looking to peek at and be- being ready for that first event. Do you think that makes a huge difference as you go into the year that perhaps those that aren't ready for the first couple of tour events like Auckland or Adelaide, but then who are ready by the by the first Monday of Aussie or the second Monday of Aussie do you think those last few weeks are actually crucial in their physical prep Um, or do you think it depends when they started
3: it is crucial also you know players players you know you know if you take it by the time by the time they get to the Australian Open they've been there 13 14 days and a lot of them have had a 13 14 hour time change and it's an hour it's, it's it's an hour for every day so by the time they get there they're going to be acclimatized and ready for the australian open whereas their bodies still aren't ready for it you know when they're playing those warm-up events so the physical side and 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 just that that whole um uh, physiological preparation is 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 still kicking in and is ready by the australian open
0: yeah one one point i'd like to make on that and I thought this was interesting. And again, a couple of names I think we have to mention because they're they're repeatedly knocking on our door on the men's side is is Cam Cam Norrie and Taylor Fritz. You know, you almost look at any event and they do well. And what what Cam was saying, I know last year he had quite a challenging, I think he picked up COVID during pre-season. And this year he almost chose, I think, to just keep rolling over. So they were doing the preseason, but he then played all the exhibitions in in Saudi, in Dubai, and and he said he feels so sharp because he's almost kept competing all the way through, and and I can't help but think, but those that have done that will be better prepared for the Aussie Open. However, there'll probably be a crash at some time of the year. If he's yeah, not that careful. was really
2: that was really my question, Dan. Is that it's it's such a fine line and i do think you see niggles and injuries coming in when players have done a six week physical block but they haven't competed and then other players who have kind of and i i'm one who i i you know i love my physical and everything but i do feel better when i'm still i'm still playing yeah. um as as i don't feel like um coming into it that i'm going to hurt as much um from from the matches but then at the top level and and especially for the guys with how long and how physical um their five sec slams are i think that there's bound to be a takeoff for that at some yeah. point um but it's interesting with with cameron because obviously he's so he's so fit yeah. um that i think he's someone who would need to um it, that it's fine for him to compete and, and keep going and still be mentally fresh and sharp
0: yeah and he's a one I think he's the one we've got to mention and that's the time it's come to guys so I'll start the ball can roll. I Can I add one
1: more story I would absolutely, like to highlight uh, uh, we were talking about the women's and it kind of get back to the men there but I think one of the more interesting stories for me personally is the I mean it shouldn't be but the personal side of Kasatkina how she's very much taking a stand up and especially being a mm-hmm. Russian and and I really I feel really inspired by that to be honest I think it's very it's really a great thing that she's doing, and she's standing up, and she knows that it's not gonna be received well in, in in certain parts of her home country, and she's done well to get her back herself back into to 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 the top ten, and and I hope that uh, you know Russia is not having the best of rep at the times, but but it's you know all, all the players are not uh, under the same, and she has she stood out positively, and I think she can be a role model for for a lot of other. Uh, uh, people around the world in the way that she has been uh, outspoken about her personal side for the last, yeah, many, many months.
0: But does it, it just shows the, the connect, doesn't it, between feeling comfortable within your own skin and, you know, living, living life the way that you, you, you want to and how you perform on the court, you know? And Absolutely. Connect, and then, but, like they, that. but
1: at the same time, there are certain places where it's easier to be comfortable 100%. and outspoken uh, comfortable. So I, I think she's great, and I think she deserves a mention.
0: And she's number eight in the world right now.
1: Exactly, she can, you can't you can't rule her out.
0: She's she's put herself in a great position. But I'm I'm going to start, and the reason I'm going to start is I never get any credit for getting the the picks correct because everyone always tells me I've just jumped on the back of everybody else. You know. So, so what so you're going to
1: say, Djokovic and Djokora <laughs> for, for once in your life?
0: <laughs> so no, I'm actually well. I'm going to start with dark horses, and this one's a little bit of a. Um, some people could look at the criteria of what a dark horse is. Um, but I've got to talk about Seb Corder. Um, you know, he for me, and and I know we've got your sinner's sinner and obviously Alcaraz isn't isn't gonna be there. We have got Holger Rooney. For me, I think Corder could almost be the one, even out of all of them, you know, that goes on to be a multiple slam champion is it too early for him now probably you know over five sets um but i can certainly see him having at least one big run he's he seems to be prepared so that would that would be my dark horse on on the men's side
1: yeah i like that call
2: yeah i like that call i, I was gonna say i mean did he had much point right last last week in the week. second
0: set yeah yeah second he had set match and, point. yeah
2: and but it, it that is over three and not five and it we we know that it's a little tougher for for the guys to beat Djokovic over five. But um, yeah, and I think Keen is a good shout. Um, in terms of somebody who hasn't hasn't won a slam before, but I would love to see I would love to see Benčić. Um, I think it would be cool for it's not the darkest of horses because she's been established there for a little while.
0: She's also I'm not just, playing would- in the men's event, Emily. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I realise that. I misunderstood <laughs> the question. Um, but for... Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you with Corda. I think. Um, but I want I want Andy to do well too. I, it's not a pick, but I would love Andy to do well.
0: Uh, v- Vozzy, where's your... You're often a bit kind of off off to the left or the right in your picks for the Darko. So I'm, I'm waiting in, in anticipation for this one.
3: I'm going to go kick Manovich.
0: Okay. Yep. Good um, job as well. I was,
3: I, I was impressed with the way he was uh, training out in Dubai. Um, made some huge physical gains. He was out there. He got out there at the end of November. So, he, you know, he's, he's had a huge training block. Um, and also, my mate's coaching him, which is Wayne Black. So, but, but in all, all fairness, he was looking very good.
0: And Freddie, dark course on the men's side.
1: For me, we already talked about him a little bit, but for me, I like—I really like Jack Draper. I think uh, I agree with you that he's playing better than his ranking, and it's just a matter of time because before he's going to cement himself at the top of the players. I don't think he's—he's he's much worse than the uh, the other guys that I'm that are knocking on the door, such as Fritz and Chapo and uh, and Felix and and Tiafo. I think he's he's. Pretty much at their their level and yep. uh, a tough draw, of course. But 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 he'll be my my, my pick.
0: And what about dark horse? Um, on the, we know who you're picking to win it. But what about dark horse on the women's side? Because Bencic absolutely isn't a dark horse. So we're not giving you that one as a dark horse. <laughs> you, got, you got to go more left field than that. Noskova. Nice. Yeah, you've mentioned her, so you've got to. Yeah, got to I rate
2: there. her. I rate her. Um, but I think yeah, just new experiences for all of these girls, and I think you never know how they're going to react um, towards the end of a slam, which is why I think what Emma did is still so incredible. Um, that she that no flinching. I think Layla Fernandez always produces that really good level at Grand Slams, which we see her a little up and down in the other tournaments, but Layla Fernandez is also someone who I think gradually um, could could sneak through without anyone realizing
0: i'm on on the women's side. I'm um it just hasn't happened the the boys will know who I'm about to say because I say her anything more, but she just isn't doing it, so I'm not I'm not going there. <laughs> this is might be the time she does it. she actually I thought she had a really interesting first round actually because that's another Kostjuk's another one that I've been watching almost waiting to come through, and they play each other first round Oof. so yeah, so I'm not gonna say either of those two. Uh, even though I'll edit it so that I did say that if, if they do do well. Um, in terms of the, the one that jumps to mind, I want to mention a couple. I know it's not a dark horse, but I watched the United Cup and I watched Katie Swan play against Madison Keys. I couldn't believe how hard she was hitting the ball. Like, it was just like oh my goodness so if she connects for a couple of weeks it's she's going to be seriously hard to beat um but the one that just uh, i i you see i see the name all the time and i haven't watched a lot of her but she just seems to be chipping away chipping away and and she's the sort of player that that could go go far and possibly win a slam and that's hadad maya um, the Brazilian girl, and she, you know, if you watch her results, have been incredibly consistent. I think she's actually top fifteen in the world now. Um, so she, I don't think many people will know her that aren't avid followers of tennis. So that for me is a, a name, a name to watch out for to to go far in the women's draw. And Vozzy? on ready?
3: the on the sorry, on the women's side, I I I, I like Layla Layla Fernandez. That'll be my pick.
0: I'm just looking at the draw. I, I looked at her and I thought, poor, she got a tough draw. I yeah, think.
3: but I mean, tough draw, not tough draw. You've got, to, you've got to play them at some stage in the draw. So, you know, you'd rather play have those tough uh, opponents early on than rather deep in.
0: Yeah, she play, potentially plays... Well, she plays Cornet first round, which is not easy at all. And to potentially play a game, we don't presume it, but if Caroline Garcia, who... Who was obviously the superstar at the end of last year in, in the second round. So that, that'll be that'll be interesting. And what about yourself, Freddie? I think
1: it's very difficult to pick the women because there's a lot of dark horses, and there's a lot of dark horses that are top ten as well, because they haven't some of them haven't really made a a big push in slams yet. There's there's only one previous winner in the top 10 at the women's side. And we know we've talked about before how many one-time winners there are on the women's side. So I think it's uh I think it's it's up for grabs I'm gonna give it one more time for my girl McNally and then maybe I'll'll follow your uh footsteps then and, and and trying to find someone else but I'm just waiting for her to have that breakthrough and if it's not Freddie, gonna be australia
2: Freddie she's playing with um she's playing Louisa Stefani in the doubles this year cat McNally um and I think they they're in with a very good shout Louise is just won Adelaide um, and I think, and Kat obviously made final of uh, US Open, I think, this year against uh, the Czech girls. So I think you might be there for a double slam. But
1: Well, <laughs> she's see. obviously proven herself as a good doubles player, but I think it's also maybe because I really want her to do well because I think she stands out from the other girls a little bit more and she plays a, an attractive kind of tennis. But uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with her for one more time before yeah. I, I'll have to <laughs> accept defeat
0: she was due to play a top 16 seed in the first round who, who was withdrawn. So I'm, I, I have a feeling it might be Bedofa. So, okay. so she now, not that we game, we know that lucky loser, look at Quan this week in Adelaide, he was in as a lucky loser. And I don't know if he won the final today, but he was, he was in the final, Um, you know, lucky losers are difficult, but she all of a sudden becomes the number eight seed potentially. So the draws hmm. opened up, Freddie. This could be it. This could be the year. I'm air. telling you. This could and be. And if
1: not, exactly. <laughs> this is it. If not, it's just
0: <laughs> persistence works. And 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 uh, Emily, your your pick is, is bench that's Your pick to win it. If, you, if this is your reputation is on the line, one name. Eager. Eager. Yeah,
2: I think what? so. Um, I. I... I would actually love. I want Benches to win it, um, but I think, I think in, the, in the big moment, Eager with her, just I mean mentally, I think she's the strongest of all the girls.
0: Vosy, Zabaloenko, will her serve hold up for seven Grand Slam um, matches?
3: Yeah, I think it will. I mean, I, again, um, I saw closely in Dubai. Um, and she was obviously spending a lot of time on the circuit, but it was looking good. I mean, obviously, you, you can't take much from that because it's no pressure. But yeah, if she if she holds it all together, she's got a big game.
0: Freddie, should I just sign you up to Coco Cola now, or you want tempting? Give
3: us... And I want her. I will
1: want her to win, but I'm going to go with Pagula.
0: This is why I go first because that's my pick.
1: <laughs> she had a strong United uh, Cup and. Yeah, she's she's also one of those. She's kind of under the radar, but I think she can do it. So that's my pick.
0: She's under the radar as world number two. Number
1: three in the world.
0: Number three. and and Two or and, three,
1: two or three, something um, like that.
0: Which is just, well, I think she's three. I think Gilbert is, is two, but it, it's incredible she's under the radar. And that's the same one that we never mention. He, he's another. He's a name on the men's side we never mention. And I had a little look and I went, right, who are, who are the favorites? I like to see what the bookies say and the world number 2 men's player is the ninth favorite to win the Australian open and and i just don't know when we're going to start putting some respect on the name of kasper ready? Uh ready
1: i don't think there's no respect i just think that if you see also the the tournament of australia that is notoriously a little bit faster playing i don't think it's a uh, would you pick him would you put him higher as, as ninth favorite I mean I would I would yes. love him to be better but but you would I would I mean, yeah he just he, he lost last week to 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 Jera I believe in Auckland and I don't know I don't think that's unfair I think he's very very good and he's very consistent and I like him a lot but uh, for, for winning a slam at the moment I, I don't think that's way off so I mean, why is
0: Holger so Holger Rune was ahead of him yeah which I I, I would think put so- him I, think I would put unfair. him ahead yeah. really i think
1: i would put him yeah because i think they, they they're both having won a slam but i think that casper is for better or for worse he's very solid and he's very kind of predictable and you know what you're gonna get and you're gonna get top performances all the time and he's gonna um, he's gonna deliver great quality but if another guy has today he's 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 there for the taking and i feel that Holger has that X factor. For example, I would if, if Holger plays Joko, I think he has a bigger chance, better chance of beating Joko than Kasper has. And I think that... Uh, that uh, He made two Grand yeah, Slam
0: finals last year.
1: Yeah, and one of them he was, I mean, not even close. And the other one was a little bit closer, but it's still I didn't really think that he, he kind of looked like winning. And of course, like I said, I don't think that to, to be the number ninth favorite in the player is disrespectful. I think he's really good and doesn't mean much. But at the same time, I think to, to win it, then I I think he, for, for me personally, I think he, he needs to show a little bit more X factor. And and he still has a few holes around the game compared to the other guys. But I think with if Novak is gone all of a sudden, I think that changes a lot. Because I think even though he's ninth, I still think he might beat the other guys that are eight, seven, six, five, four. Uh, has a bigger chance, but we're talking about winning. And that means beating Novak, for example. And I think that he has a worse chance of beating Novak than some of the other guys, which is why he must be lower. But if you only made, made a round robin with the guys from 3 to 9, I think he would be high.
0: When we've talked tennis, Freddie, over the years, I don't remember myself ever really disagreeing with you. You know, I always think our philosophies are very similar. I think, you know, I, I always think you talk sense. There was a moment there where I was disagreeing with you, but you've just saved yourself there at the end. <laughs>
1: well, isn't that the, the beauty of it? You got to disagree from time to time, and I stand by it because it's it's like, uh, yeah, I, I, slow and steady wins the race is kind of the 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 argument with Casper, isn't it? But. Do you need slow and steady? You need you need somebody who can who can uh, who can trouble the waters a little bit, I feel. Yeah, as well, it is now.
0: Well well put. I can't I can't argue with the with the last point. So Emily, anybody going against Novak Djokovic.
2: Be interesting to see how team plays. Is team playing? I think he's back. I think he's I don't know who he plays first
0: sure. Doesn't he play? He plays, like, a, it's, a, it's a big, like, in terms of names, I'm sure it's a big name match. But it's like, it's who does he play? Who does he play? He's kind of
2: been a little, obviously, he's disappeared with a horrific injury, but I think he's been forgotten about as someone who has proved himself at the, towards the end of slams, um, whether he's ready or not yet yeah, to do that again. Um, but I think he can challenge Djokovic at, at his best. I think team could challenge Djokovic.
0: He plays Rublev um, first round, Rublev.
2: Oh, okay, yeah, straight in. <laughs> um, but Rublev, we never mentioned Rublev either. Um, yeah, I, I think Berrettini. With how quick it is, I think. Oh, Berrettini, he's going to
0: lose to Andy first round.
2: Um, yeah, but it's tough. I mean, I think I think Djokovic in Australia is a, is different to Djokovic somewhere else. But I think if he gets through the first couple of rounds. Without some maverick having a swing, um, then which he's proven to do on a regular, <laughs> on a regular basis, obviously, then I think, yeah, I think it's tough to, to say anyone else but Djokovic. But I would, I would like someone else to win it in the men's.
0: Vozzi? Medvedev, the new Medvedev. What what makes you say that? Because he he he's, he's kind of gone off the boil a little bit, huh?
3: Yeah, he has. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think he's got a good engine on him. Um, you know, he's prepared to stay out, out there for as long as it takes. Um, yeah, and I I, I think um, the conditions in Australia will suit him, suit his game. You know, breaking down, wearing down players. But that would be my guy.
0: Ready,
1: Novak, every day of the week and twice on Sunday.
0: <laughs> 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 it's hard to see, isn't it, anyone past him? I mean, you, you know the one I actually, at best of five is the one, the, the thing that just stumps this. Taylor Fritz has got has got the game. But does he have the game over five sets in a quarter final, semi-final? Not sure, not sure he does. So uh, I I'm I, I hate to say it, but I'm with you, Freddie. We're we're on the <laughs> same we're on this we're on the same boat. Um again it's it's, it's almost impossible to go against Djokovic. Yeah. Number twenty one potentially we've also not mentioned Nadal. again uh, at some point At some point, we're going to be right on the dial. He just doesn't fill us with confidence for some reason. I don't know why, because he keeps on keeps on producing. But that moves me into my last thing, guys. It's the narratives of 2023. You know that I'll start us off. I don't think Rafael Nadal will be playing tennis in 2024. I think 2023 will be Rafael Nadal's last year on tour. We'll have more tears at the Lever Cup. Federer will come come out of retirement to play one last doubles match with Nadal. We'll all sit there with the Kleenexes, just crying our eyes out in our own lounges uh, because they've impacted us so much more than we've ever realized over the last twenty years. So that's that's my storyline of twenty twenty three. What about yourself, Emily?
2: Yeah, I think I think with Nadal, I think uh, every time we get to see him play, it's it's a privilege and we want that as much as we possibly can and him to keep playing as long as possible but don't you think he's going to retire at roland garros at some point um possibly this year yeah maybe i think that having it having a baby has also um changed his whole lifestyle more than he would expect perhaps um so yeah i think you could be right there in terms of a story I don't think you can predict it at the moment. And I think that's the fun of it. I think with what you said about last year, I don't think we ever would have thought the stories that happened last year would have happened. Um, wouldn't it be cool if, if Kyrgios won a slam, that would be cool.
0: And can I ask you as well, Emily, do we see Serena back in 2023? She's left the door open. She. Actually- I don't think she's
2: done. I don't think she's done. I, th- I think the way that she went out is not satisfactory for Serena. And I think she'll, I think she, there's a chance that she, that she's going to um play somewhere, probably kick some ass and then retire.
0: <laughs> Freddie, what are we, what's the, what's the storyline, you know, make it out there. Come on, let's, let's get the, let's get the imagination flowing.
1: Uh. Some of them are a little bit con- contradicting, but I have Novak to be the winningest slam male player of all time. I have uh, a new one to win a slam as well. Holger, Nick, those guys. Um, definitely first-time winner for the women. Uh, Coco, I think
0: Coco, Coco's, yeah, this
1: year. Yeah, Coco or Pegula or Caroline Garcia. And uh, changing of the guard. As I alluded to it earlier, new generation, new players. Time for time for the new generation to step up and really take solid control at the top of the game, both at the women and the and the men's tour.
0: And and Vozzy, what's the what's the impact going to be in twenty twenty three of the PTPA? They've they've come out again in the last week, just before Australia. They've seemed to have got a bit of a committee together now. Uh, they seem to have been putting a little bit of a manifesto together. So it seems like it's a little bit more organized than when it came onto our screens in 2020. Is, is that going to impact as well as Netflix? <clears throat> you know, are we going to see in 2023 the game changing, you know, the, the, the big dogs, the big seven that are that are running tennis right now with the ITF ATP WTA and all of the Grand Slams, are we gonna see the PTPA open some doors and make it a little bit more player led?
3: Yeah, so I, I think at the moment um the PTPA is it's too nice. Um and I, I think they they need to be a little bit more aggressive on on how they are um looking after the players in, in the best interest of the sport and, and the individuals, you know, and challenge some of the decisions made by, say, the ATP or the WTA in, in this instance, um, you know, based based on their members. It's nice that they've got an executive committee with, with obviously, you know. If I could add to
1: that, there's going to be a breakaway tour. That's my absolutely wild prediction, kind of like they did in golf as a result of the PGPA.
0: There we go. Let's see. Let's see what 2023 brings, guys. Uh, you guys, absolute stars, as always. Thank you for coming on. Wherever you are in the world, thanks for enjoy, having life, us. enjoy the Thank Australian you. Open. And thanks a lot. We'll uh, we'll have to get back in a couple of weeks to report whether any of us know what we're talking about. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Have a great Cheers. day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Go. Bye. Now, hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, it's not too far into the Australian Open But also, I hope that you've watched Breakpoint by now on Netflix. Uh, The first five episodes have been out now for a few days. And I must say, I think it's brilliant for tennis. I really do. I think it's going to open up the doors to the the new generation. And And as we heard there, I think it was Kieran that said... The average age watching Grand Slam, 61 years old. The average age watching the Tennis Channel, 55 years old. You know, if we can get a documentary like that that showcases our sport with the glitz, the glam, the challenges, you know, seeing seeing the other side of it. Yes, we can go into more detail, of course, but as a starting point to get the tennis industry out there, I think it's a it's a great platform for it to be happening uh, make sure you watch it make sure you're sharing with your with your kids you know with your players if you're a coach with your friends who don't like tennis yet you know all it takes sometimes is to watch 20 minutes of a show like that and we can open up the sport to some new people And a big thanks to to the panellists. Yeah, I love the chat. Always excited to see. You know, it's amazing how often myself and Freddie go for the same players. And let's see, Djokovic, since we've spoke, I've heard maybe hamstring is hurting a little bit. He actually cancelled his practice two days before his first round match. You know, that doesn't sound too good but let's see he's he's the master at coming back and finding a way to get his body back on the line and then who knows on the women's side it's 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 wide open i think Iga deserves that favorite tag I certainly am excited to see my pick, Pagula, and see how she is playing. And obviously, Coco Goff is is absolutely right up there as well. But we're going to see. There's then obviously the men's doubles, which I will naturally have a close, strong eye on. So please support Harry and Lloyd and also the other British pairs. Out there, and the same with the women's doubles. You know, is it going to be the Czech pair that has won three out the four Grand Slams last year? Or are we going to start to see some new winners? And and then the wheelchair events. You know, they are getting higher and higher profile, rightly so. It's incredible what they are doing. You know, one of my coaches, actually Bruno Agudu is out there with Gordon Reed. So I wish them the very best of luck. I wish Carl Mize and Tamara Zidanec, who plays on Jibber in the first round. Carl Mize is the performance director at Soto Tennis Academy. And then I have to also mention my other coach. We've got three coaches out there, Mike Digby, who has been on the podcast before. He's working with one of our young players, Rasheen Gilheny, who is playing in the juniors as well. So for us, that we have some real interest at the academy in in how the players are doing. But more than that, it is just a fantastic time to be in Australia, but it's also a fantastic time to be watching tennis in Australia. It really is a month of sport over there in their summer, and we get to enjoy it here in Europe or wherever you are are going to be watching watching it from. So enjoy that. We will be back. Uh, We have... Tamara Z- Zidanjek is coming to you in the next few days. We've also got a conversation with Pat Cash later on this week, which will all, is always fascinating. Pat's always got something to say and, and many more. We'll have the review coming in a couple of weeks. And I just can't wait to see what stories we're going to be talking about. So enjoy the Australian Open. Enjoy the Netflix show. All the best to you all in 2023, but until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables.